Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specified, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs, the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode will tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Clark Chow, who is the president of Impress Technologies. Impress Technologies develops innovative and environmentally sustainable products and technologies by incorporating local recycled raw materials into end products and generates revenue through licensing. I've worked with Clark in the past, and I found him to be a wealth of information. Clark, thanks for coming on the show. Great. Thanks a lot, Tats. Yeah, so we know each other, but our audience doesn't. Tell me about your background. Background, grew up in Vancouver Island, small town, moved to Vancouver, BC to go to BCIT, the technical school here for plastics technology. And from there, as a diploma program, went straight into working for an injection molding company, making nursery containers, uh, flower pots. Yeah, really worked on the shop floor, making different blends of different plastics with recycled materials. Super challenging at the time, uh, but <laughs> it's really looking back on it now is, is given tons of great experience in, in dealing with like hard to, hard to deal with materials and process variations. So hated it at the time, but yeah, it's an amazing experience now. Yeah, so really did uh, work on the shop floor for about seven years, moved over to a CD DVD manufacturing company and injection <laughs> molding as well. I thought my career was going to be a little bit longer than one and a half years in that industry, but <laughs> kind of hit it on the tail end there. So, yeah, not, not a lot of discs being injection molded, you know, probably in the last 10 years. So, <laughs> and then really took the opportunity to join Plascon here as a manufacturing company, began injection molding. We were set up to make some paint pails and containers for local paint manufacturer. One of the innovations of the time was trying to convert a lot of the plastic gallons and liters, trying to convert it over to plastic containers versus the tin and the metal containers. Mm -hmm. So it was essentially a startup company. We had a lot of struggles with having the consumer or the contractors really to adopt this new design. There wasn't a lot of collaboration with the end customer. So there was a lot of, I think, hesitation to switch from known metal cans to plastic on the gallons and the liters. So really, we end up just making the five-gallon pails at the end of the day and opportunity to kind of transform the company. 2014, when the paint company was, they were sold, the parent company sold all the, their paint company group. And essentially at that time, it was Probably about 95% of our business was one customer. So we had to reinvent ourselves. Now, now this paint customer, Clark, it's, it's a massive company, right? You talked about startups, but yeah. this is, it's a world-leading company, right? So Yeah, yeah. They had multiple. They're actually a Mexican corporation that moved into the U.S. through amalgamations. And so they had big presence in North America, both U.S. and Canada. And so it was quite a big group for sure. And yeah, so that was obviously a big hit for us when that happened. And along the way, we've also mentioned about Impress. So we started up 
that company with a couple with another group here locally in BC and taking a look at a waste stream at the time, which is car tires, and trying to really see if there was a way to integrate kind of that car tires into injection molding. So probably about, I think that's when we first kind of met was when we had just something initial and (laughs) we had a product, didn't know what to do with it. So yeah, so that's been, that was probably going back about six, seven years ago that uh, we launched the company. So yeah, it's good. And you've kind of evolved since then, right? Because you've sort of, you started in sort of the building side or the the production manufacturing. Now you're kind of a bit more into the innovation side, right? Sort of doing that stuff. Yeah, that's, well, the first part was when we lost our main client and pretty much one of our only clients, we, we actually, we had to find a way to fill, fill up our capacity and be able to just keep the lights on. So really it's during that time, we didn't have a lot of time to develop anything of ourselves. So we're custom molding, making products for other people. And so, but the goal was to be able to develop our technologies, be able to make our own products. So that's kind of the direction and that was the vision. It was, and we're kind of probably about two, three years into this vision and and we're definitely got some initial successes, but you're really focusing around sustainability a lot of yeah, construction products and yeah, so that seems to be an area that we're able to kind of add a lot of value into. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to sort of add some, shed some light to a few things. One of the things when you developed a newer product, you were able to license that technology to a, am I correct to say nine figure company and yes. basically yep. receive royalties. So, I mean, a lot of people don't, understand licensing i mean they watch like a reality show and they talk about licensing something but you you have experiencing licensing to a big company and receiving consistent royalty streams how did they find you i mean how did you even start in that well it's actually uh, one of our partners in the business they were actually still at the time responsible for managing recycled car tires in canada and the production and the sale of they call it crumb rubber when you chip it down. And so one of their main customers is actually in Ontario and, and they they manufacture products with the crumb rubber. And traditionally it's there's a process called compression molding, which is essentially taking glue and tires and crumb rubber and like kind of gluing it and pressing it together. So they were already currently doing that and so they were already using crumb rubber, but the process is slower more materials required. And, and so really, they've been trying to develop injection molding products for quite a few years, but never really had the success. So when our partner was out there, they said, hey, we're, we're doing this, we got products. And it was just by chance that they, people have been trying to do this, but with little luck. And, and that was kind of the sentiment when we first started the company was, there's been always been companies trying to figure out how to how to do this as they recognize it as a as a low cost feed stream and if they could develop it it'd be kind of a game changer for the industry so when they figured out that we were doing it we had some patents pending around this area it was a very quick decision on their part and to kind of investigate it and and see how we could uh, work together yeah so to understand what they saw and what you were doing what were you doing? Were you saving the money? Like what, what was the sort of drive to sort of 
push to your solution? Yeah, so it was it was a couple things. It was we had a, a product already which kind of fit into their market, and it was just a, another line of extension. Really, it wasn't to compete with theirs, but it was just another line extension. And really, when they found out what the cost savings were, that's when. What were the cost savings? How how big were the cost savings roughly? Well, yeah, the cost savings. I would say that the cost savings were probably about fifty percent. Yeah, from what they're currently doing. So for them, they have facilities already invest a lot of capital into these types of facilities. But when they found out what our technology was, they actually outsourced the manufacturing using our technology. So they didn't have much capital investments other than some molds. So so for them, it made a lot of sense that they outsource manufacturing, no capital requirements, and they quickly in in a couple of years they were able to grow their sales using our technology into close it probably took about four years five years but they're they hit a hundred million in sales using our technology <sighs> oh, yeah see that that that's the type of things you're talking about and here's a question I always uh, to pay this point with uh, people is that fifty percent savings doesn't look like much of an investment for them and they're off. But what do you think the threshold is? Because I always argue that the advantages need to be big enough because there's many times, maybe not as much in this case, but there's a cost of change and, and stuff like that. And I always find that things that are like 20% or 30% you know, might not meet that threshold. What are your feelings about that? What's the threshold in order to get someone to change, like an OEM process where you're potentially licensing something? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's definitely... There's some considerations in terms of, it's not just even sometimes cost savings, but if they have shareholders that know Mm -hmm. that they've invested whatever it is, $20 million into a plant, and all of a sudden see that there's this game-changing technology that could uh, render it uh, inoperable because of, (laughs) you know, but they've invested so much. So it's, it's, there's other factors, not just cost savings, but like, what are the politics behind it? What are the yeah. what are the competing technologies? So where we want to, where we found that we were able to add a lot of value without really disrupting their market or their processes or any of those things is to say, yeah. look, you keep your current products, you sell to your current markets. Uh, we're a line extension. We're giving you another SKU that you can actually go to the market with, yeah. and you can create either a lower end, higher end, whatever you want, but. It's not to disrupt their market. It's more to add on to their market. So it's not as much about picking one technology versus theirs, but it's more about how can we paint a picture for them to show them that you can go, there's this much more of the market that you're not, that you can't achieve because of your current cost structure or your technology or you, there's, or transport, whatever it is, and be able to educate them on the opportunities that's out there. So I think that's where. Ah. You know, if you can paint it in that view, there, then you're not really comparing it. Is it is it a 10% savings on costs or 20 or 50? But now it's more of a additional revenue or margin. Mm. Or so that's kind of more of the I think the technique that we found successful. Yeah, well, that's interesting, and I guess it's just paint a bit of a more of a picture on the method of marketing channel just to make it easier for you. It was a retail channel, right? So we we're talking about line extensions in a retail channel. And it was, what sort of scale was the deployment? I was trying to remember how many stores they were rolling out in and when they were doing this line extension. 
How did they approach that? Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, they're at a scale of size where they can invite the buyers of the big box stores. One day, it could be a Walmart comes in and all their shelving looks like a Walmart store and they put all their products into their shelves. Next day, all the shelving comes down and the orange Home Depot racks go up and they fill it with all their own products and the Home Depot buyer comes in. So they're at a scale where the buyers are coming to them and buying not just like committing to one product, they're committing to bays of products. So that's why we're... So how many stores did it roll out initially? When they were doing this change, obviously they're a little nervous, right? Because although it's a line extension, it's taking up space. So they're always calculating revenue per space. So how many stores did it initially roll out in? That's a good question. I'm not, that was, I think we're going back about six or seven years now. (laughs) For uh, That's how long we've been kind of with this licensee for. So it was, I think at first it's more like how many retailers they're kind of rolling out to first. And we're talking about number of retailers versus number of stores. Yeah. But it's, and with um, these type of products, is there seasonal products as well? So we're not exactly in, there's about three, four months of really main buying season. So, so yeah, the first, first, second year, it's more kind of timing, Mm -hmm. but it didn't take long to be able to really scale. And when you're able to, outsource and not have capacity constraints and capital investments, you're able to scale a lot quicker and be able to deploy production at multiple facilities. And so I think that's really helped them scale this business versus building facilities, hiring and training and doing all those things that typically have a lot longer kind of ramp up time than than going to established manufacturers and dropping them molds and say, here's the technology and be able to fill retail demand. It's quite challenging yeah. <laughs> in terms of scale and size. So, so I think that was one, one benefit that, uh, especially when you're talking about injection molding, it's the most efficient way to make plastic products, but you need the volume. So, so when you have the volume, then this is create a lot of products, short period of time, most cost effective. Yeah. Good. Well, you, you've done this sort of innovation process a few times, and we'll talk more about some of the newer stuff you're working on a bit later. But can you describe what is sort of your innovation process now, you know, after all this learning? Yeah, it's really for myself. It's, you know, I look at it now and say, well, where, where do you spend time? And where do you, what projects there's, as entrepreneurs, as innovators, there's always that shiny object. And I think it's key to be able to really understand what the opportunity is. So really, the way I look at it is the bigger the problem, the bigger the challenge, more barriers there are for competitors, the more opportunity there is if you can figure out these problems. So so really, it's identifying the biggest problem that you can find is typically my challenge is like, if we can work on world's greatest problems <laughs> all day long, <laughs> that's, uh, we'd love to live there. So it's, you know, be able to that's really cool, identify and how we've been successful in doing that is we go to trade shows that have nothing to do with plastics. They could be uh-huh. mining, they could be concrete, they could be, and in these different industries, you're exposed to things that you're never exposed to. Yeah. And I think there's some value there because 
when you're working in an industry for so long, you get blinders on, things aren't are supposed to be done this particular way. And even though you know that, it still happens. So really, it's going to shows, it's talking to industries that have nothing to do with your industry, and really then identifying what is the common challenge in these industries? What is what is the biggest challenge a major player might have? And and really trying to understand, is this something that we can help solve? So we've been, I think that's kind of how we've been fortunate to, in these new industries, be able to dig up and ask all those questions and really try and get to the root of the problems. Because a lot of people may feel that this is a challenge in our industry, but once you start really digging in, asking all those tough questions, and really another, the root comes out. So for us, we've been lucky that we've been able to work with people in different industries, partner with them, and we've create these game-changing kind of technologies for their industry. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of really been the success for for us to develop these and innovate these new kind of new solutions and just be open to anything. <laughs> so I think that's, yeah, I, I'd like to say that's probably been kind of our, our go-to is, is, is just really digging up those challenging, challenging. I love that. It's good. I've heard that before as well. Some, some very well-known tech executives saying, you're looking at your R&D pipeline and you're trying to figure out which project to pursue. Let's say you have two that are kind of closely linked or close in sort of opportunity. And they always say, pick the harder one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, as long as it can, if you know that it can scale, right? If, mm-hmm. if you figure it out, then if you know before that it can scale, then you know there's an opportunity for the payback, right? So, mm-hmm. so I guess first is, yeah, really understanding that. If we build it, <laughs> will they will they come? Um, but it's really like, yeah, how big is that? How big is that market? Yeah. Now I've always, ever since I known you, you're just very curious. You're asking questions. You're not quick to jump to assumptions. You just you ask a lot of questions, and I, I've always found that to be, I think, one of your huge assets. Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> not always. Uh, <laughs> might not be always uh, evident <laughs> at the start, but uh, that's uh, yeah. That's... Well, but truthfully, who who really knows how it's going to turn out, right? Like an experienced innovator, right? Like, I mean, like yourself, kind of knows that it it goes in a certain direction, and you eventually get to the other side. But you trust that process because you've you've done it before, right? Yeah. No one knows <laughs> what, yeah. what's yeah. on the other end. Yeah, and, and the partner that you're, you know, whoever you're. A lot of times we're doing joint development and I think the other you have partners or you do have collaborators they have to have a similar vision or yeah if it's the wrong timing short-sightedness like all those things can really hurt the process so yeah so it's I think aligning motivations aligning timing it's having it as clear as possible up front so no disappointments when something does come and and so yeah which is awesome. You just mentioned something that I wanted to ask you. You're Because you're doing licensing, you're doing different partners and collaborations, I always found that you were very open-minded with that. And I think very successful with bringing different people together and forming partnerships. What are your keys there? I mean, you touched on a few of them just now, but what are your sort of overarching things on partnership? Well, I think it's always easy to, um, and at the beginning when new ideas come and you form partnerships, it's always the honeymoon stage. So it's, 
I mean, you do the best you can, judge of character, you know, having agreements in place. So there are things that you can do to minimize when when there's a fallout or just timing differences in someone's career. They may be on a different stage where they're not their appetite for innovation and investment is lower. So there's a lot of reasons why beginning it's always great and but planning for the end or planning for what's inevitably going to happen, I think that's just as important. But the way, you know, the way I look at it is first is it's got to be the people. You're going to have to have, you know, similar values, openness, collaboration, integrity. Yeah, I mean, you're never, you're never going to be able to foresee how things are going to work out at the end, but there's things that you put in place to try to help with that process. But yeah, it's not all of them are going to work out, unfortunately. But hopefully, the more you do, the better the process you have understanding, know the kind of people that you're able to work with and trust. Money does funny things to people. And (laughs) and until it becomes an issue, you really don't know how people react. So kind of, yeah, I'm not sure if I have a silver bullet there, but... (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. I don't think anyone has a silver bullet. Now, you're getting people together. You have ideas. You're going through the honeymoon stage. And you're trying to get some traction, okay? So what have you learned about getting traction for new ideas? What are your tips? Traction for new ideas, it's, that's always, I think that's, that's the, tough, the toughest part of bringing kind of products and ideas to the market. It's, it's really, for us, has been going to the big players in that market. So if, you're, if you believe your idea is game-changing, having the biggest player in that industry with the most market share, if they're not interested, you probably your idea probably is not that game changing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for us, it's really going after the big player. They have distribution, they have sales. To not just innovate and create an idea, bring it to market. The hardest part is selling and marketing and, and getting products out there. So, if we believe that we have something that's amazing. The licensing is and passive income is not off the table. I mean, it's, you're having a smaller percentage, but you don't have all the capital, build the capital and five or 10 years building sales distribution channels, all those things. So there is, for us, there's times where we're like, this is a passive income licensing royalty deal. We're going to show the biggest player in the market. They're going to save 50%. They're going to create a new line of product and their margins are going to triple. No, and we're going to take a small piece of this. That could work. And I think going, going to the big players and having your idea validated is something that I think is kind of our way of saying, do we have something here? That's, that's awesome. Because if the value isn't big enough, you're not going to get their attention. And I think many people, I think sometimes, you know, shy away from going to the, the bigger players, right? Because of the tough medicine you might get. But I think with innovation, I think this, like you've mentioned in the past that there's a tendency to fall in love with it. And if you have people like a big partner that weigh in on it, then you know where you stand right away, right? You yeah. don't have to waste any money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of been our, our validation tool, I guess, if you call it that for new concepts and whether it's worth kind of taking the next stage of commercialization. Awesome. Now, I mentioned earlier, you're working on a bunch of new stuff. What can you let, let us in on? Yeah, so we're working on some really, really cool stuff around building construction right now. 
We're kind of partnered with a global company called Bubble Deck. Mm-hmm. And what essentially they do is they put voids, and in this case, bubbles and spheres into concrete. And essentially what that does is pour your concrete slab and you have these balls placed in a specific location and essentially you reduce a third the concrete usage and you create the same slab that would withstand all the same physical requirements. There is some better insulation because of the air, better acoustics, not as much transfers. So that's the bubble deck technology. It's a global technology. So what We've partnered with the North American licensee, and we've created new technology that utilizes voided slabs as well. And so we're working on the technology with taking CLT, cross-laminated timber, mm-hmm. and be able to combine that with voided spheres, uh, voided slabs with the concrete. Yeah. So you get the concrete structure, but you also get the look and the feel of the wood. So, so we're really excited about this kind of a hybrid approach. And mm-hmm. we're also looking at creating a voided system to be able to create high rises. Like we call it thinner slabs, which is eight inches thickness or thinner. So high rise condos are typically eight inch uh, thickness. So we can take that same concept and be able to put it into high rises and potentially tilt up construction for warehouses. So you get the benefit again, same as a lighter weight slab. So now you could potentially go further distances between columns mm-hmm. or you have thinner columns. So yeah. you now have bigger great room, like bigger rooms in your uh, apartments. Yeah. So, so we're working on a couple items there. We're also working on thermal brake for high rises or patios. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to mm-hmm. stop the transmission of hot and cold through patios, which act like a heat sink. Mm. So, you know, there's stuff out there, but traditionally, very expensive. So we want to be able to create this thermal break and get it economical enough that all the developers would use it and all the construction versus very high-end specialty applications. So nice. yeah, so that's some really that's uh, awesome. fun stuff that we're working on and in that kind of space. Yeah, you know, you always have lots of different ideas on the go. I love it. When was kind of the, the, the turning point with with what you've been doing when you sort of felt like you, you knew what you were doing or you felt sort of transformed? When, when did it sort of click in? Was there a moment? Yeah, I think it's been really like in the last probably, I'd say a couple months, really. Really? Okay. Yeah, so it's been pretty new. <laughs> been kind of nice, actually. No, really, I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, it's really, we have a manufacturing business here that we're running, really converting it from being kind of reactionary business to more of a proactive and planning and be able to kind of try and take control of manufacturing as there's a lot of, you know, daily challenges. So being involved in the day-to-day in that in that area, it, there's always something happening. So it doesn't allow you to be able to focus on innovation and, and the ideas and growing these partnerships. And so it's been in the last three months is we finally be able to get to that stage and have good people here that kind of focus on the day-to-day has really allowed me to be able to really spend time and develop a lot of these things that we've had in the back burner. And it's really shown that wherever you put resources and time, it's generally going <laughs> to, that area will generally kind of do well. And where you don't spend time or money, it's, you can't really, it's not realistic to expect results. So yeah, yeah so that, that's been good. You mentioned tech. been a member of tech for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And that's really 
I think helped me understand that there's challenges at all stages of every organization, and they're typically mm-hmm. the same challenges that the organizations face in each of these stages. And so that's really allowed me to know that I'm not breaking the company, <laughs> but really these are the stages that they're going through. And then what's really beneficial is actually saying, okay, well, this is the next stage of an organization. These are the typical challenges that happen in those stages. So if we can front run and actually put processes or, or things in place to kind of minimize those challenges as before we hit them, has really kind of helped us kind of get control of our business again and then focus time on <laughs> innovation, So, which is where I'm passionate about. So, so really, I think taking control of the business, be able to dedicate resources to, again, innovation, both those things has really transformed our business now and be able to kind of really fast track and bring these new ideas to market. Nice. Now, what I'd like to ask our guests is, what are your top three habits or routines for success? I think one of the things is really ask, asking lots of questions, really find out what are their pain points. I think in the way, <laughs> one way to look at it is in, in North America, we're not going to be the cheapest to make things. We're not going to be this. But what you can get paid for here is, is solving pains. So the more pain you solve, the more compensation there is tied to it. So but <laughs> what are the pains? Most people will not share those with you right away. Mm-hmm. They're pretty personal a lot of times. People, you know, companies want to put on fronts that everything's going well. And, but really is, is asking a lot of questions, really focusing on what the motivations, the person who you're working with, what, what is important to them? What are they trying to solve? What is, what is going to make their, them look good to their boss? All those things is that you know, you're going to have a better chance of getting buy-in to help create a technology that's going to help, help them succeed. So asking questions, knowing your customer. Those are, I think, key, key to success for us here. Awesome. Now, is there anything I should have asked but didn't? No, you, let me think. That's a good question. You've asked. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of, I think that's good. It's, again, I'm passionate about this. Could talk a lot, long time about uh, innovation and, <laughs> and processes. So, yeah, no, it's, it's been a lot of great questions so far. Good. Thanks. And... How do people get a hold of you if they want to find out more about what you're doing? Easy way, probably a lot of people can connect through LinkedIn. So it's Clark Chow, and that's Clark with no E, and then Chow, C-H-O-W. Yeah, I would love to connect through LinkedIn. would be easy. And I'll add a link in the description perfect. so that people know. Awesome. So, Clark, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome, Tats. That's uh, a... Yeah. And yeah, that's it for today. And I want to thank everyone for listening to Specified and want to thank the listeners who are working really hard each day to, to make the world a better place. And if you know anyone that would benefit from the episode, please forward it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.